Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. G'day, welcome to the call on this Friday. Ten stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Friday, the 21st of July. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. And our experts on the show for this hour, Joshua Barker from Macro Capital. Josh, good to see you. Thanks for being here. And Daniel Tisi from Stock Doctor. Daniel, how are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be here. Yep. Great to have you on the show as well. All right, so Daniel, what are you seeing on the market at the moment? Interesting to see what's going on, of course, earnings season in the States. A couple of those, well, the tech sector uh, hit pretty hard overnight, in fact, uh, with the likes of Netflix and, uh, and uh, Tesla. Uh, you've got concerns about what's going on in that sector at the moment? Oh, probably it's more so of a function um, of the fact that they've rallied so hard kind of into the result and expectation of kind of continued growth and further profitability. And, you know, as soon as you get that heightened expectation, the the hintest um, almost stench of a, of a positive or a negative announcement can really turn the market. So I think on the US side, we'll continue to see that. We'll continue to see uh, companies which have rallied really hard into these results probably take some steam off. So that's one thing we're cautious about. Over in Australia, we think we, we've probably had the most um, in terms of con- uh, confession season already come out. So guidance will probably be the next factor um, that we'll look at now from an FY24 perspective, because I think expectations are, are quite known now for FY23. Mm. Yeah, you make a good point about confession season locally. Joshua, what have you seen as we, we sort of preview our own earnings season? Yeah, I think uh, at the moment we're sort of taking a lot of lead from from Wall Street in the macroeconomic situation. Um, our thesis is is very slowly starting to play out of picking the sort of top of this interest rate cycle. So uh, a lot of reports are leading towards cuts in, in 2024. And uh, over in the US, we've seen, um, I guess, somewhat of a, a more uh, strong performance from the, the, the Dow um, and, and those companies alike outside of those big FANG stocks. So we we're fortunate enough to be involved in, in the FANG ETF and then we've sort of just looked to roughly rotate that into um, an equal weighted to the S&P 500. So you're encapsulating a lot more of those 490 other names. Um, so that's been our general approach and uh, obviously if we do start to see those those drastic expectations of cuts really come to fruition, I think uh, Wall Street will, will take us higher eventually. Um, you know, we've had a few sort of quarterly results uh, here, um, good update yesterday from, from MinRes but seems to be giving up a little bit of that today. Um, so yeah, I think uh, yeah, just generally we're just sort of sitting and waiting and we'll, we'll be a little bit more um, sort of wait for the report before we allocate in um, but you know as opposed to when you're in a really strong bull market trying to pick companies that are going to exceed expectations so yeah playing it patient uh, this reporting season and just yeah sticking with our names that we've got for the time being yeah just looking around the sectors today in fact uh, particularly in that mining space at the moment some being hit quite hard you mentioned resources off uh, 
more than well about five and a half percent and also the goalies under significant pressure as well we've seen a couple of updates there in that sector and lithium also under pressure um look just in terms of the first uh, stocks we're going to look at in the first half of the show we'll be taking a look at atlas arteria coronado global resources australian strategic materials viva energy and carnarvon Energy. Our stock of the day is Chalice Mining, the explorer and developer with a Greenfield Platinum Group, or the PGE, so-called nickel, copper, cobalt, gold, and so on, at its Julemar project in WA, just outside of Perth. It's The news is it's entered into a partnership with Northern Resources to, protect, uh, to potentially acquire a 70% stake in its exploration license, the area in question relatively unexplored, but it's believed to have hold significant promise the magmatic nickel copper deposits and chalice has already provided to northern with $150,000 cash deposits uh, so daniel um, what are you seeing here with it's sort of, it's all about green metals isn't it chalice yeah, it is, Andrew. It's one of those huge kind of polymetallic deposits. I think PGE elements, you know, they're, they're more typically found um, and mined by larger kind of international companies. So a lot of, you know, companies involved in uh, South Africa and a lot of Russian companies as well due to the kind of location of geology there. Um, and when these mines do come online, they're very profitable because you do have a lot of different concentrate streams and revenue byproducts. So think of like the Nova mine, uh, which is owned by IGO. They have a really low cost because they get significant byproduct credits from from copper and um, cobalt. So these mines are hugely profitable, but the issue here is kind of the the I guess the the development work that needs to be put in. So they're very metallurgically complex, and they've probably spent two years uh, or at least a year and a half. You know, in the PFS studies, um, so they're yet to release that to the market. It's been delayed quite a few times, and that's probably the next near-term catalyst for a company like Chalice. But you know, this is a huge project. It'll probably be you know in development for a long time, and I think some analysts um, predict that production will will forecast to begin around the end of the the decade, around FY30. So this is clearly a very long-winded um, asset, and, and if you're in it now, you're probably you know anticipating some re, uh, re-rate upwards from studies or potentially some farming or JV agreements because you know this this is going to be probably a three billion dollar capex bill so it's it's a, a sounding project but there's a lot of kind of wind to go um in this company so from our view we're probably happy to, to sit on the sidelines um usually in, in these types of stocks you get an opportunity the market will give you an opportunity um just purely through sentiment and we've seen that recently in chalice you know it's it's fallen pretty hard so i think you will get an opportunity to buy this at a later date but for us probably just keep it on the watch list for now yep okay fair enough as you mentioned a lot of upfront costs there to consider but uh, for a longer term play uh so josh what are your thoughts is it is it too early yeah it's sort of stuck in between for us um so we are on a sort of investing companies when they're i guess have the exploration phase or when they go into production um, those are set to be the most profitable times for these types of companies and it's it's in that engineering phase of, of the Lausanne curve so um, it is a good project like it's got a market cap of 2.3 billion um, and yet to produce so you know that's on the back of being a, a tier one deposit one of the things that they've got there um, that, that's viable for them for the future is that that palladium and I think a lot of people are sort of pricing that in and, and betting on that especially with Russia supplying about 40% 
of uh, th that commodity. So, you know, whether we are, you know, demand globally from Russia, anything at all, uh, especially that palladium, if we can get it elsewhere, I think that's going to come into high demand. So I think it's going to be a good one in the future. Um, but I think uh, right now it's just stuck in that in that in that in between phase. Um, so we'd, we'd sit on the sidelines as well. But uh, yeah, happy to keep this one on your watch list. Yep. Okay. Well, putting that down then as a double watch for Chalice, certainly showing some potential, but maybe as Josh says, they're sort of at that in-between stage. It's a bit awkward. All right, let's uh, take a look at the first five stocks that we're getting into. This one picked by Oliver. It is Atlas Arteria, the owner-operator of toll roads, both here and overseas, particularly with a focus on North America. Uh, recently had that um, close to $3 billion Aussie acquisition of uh, Chicago Skyway. Um, and but it's sort of run into some problems, I guess, at a board level with some some particularly the institutional shareholders unhappy with its uh, current strategy. So, <clears throat> Josh, interested to see then your take on Atlas Arteria. Mm. Yeah, what's interesting you mentioned the the sort of institutional. So, um, one of the recent uh, uh, updates that the company had was the IFM uh, Global Infrastructure Fund um, taking their position up fifteen percent. So, uh, they actually paid a pretty hefty premium for that. You can sort of see there on the charts. Um, it was pretty much the, the, the top price movement about a year ago that they paid. Um, and now they own about 22% of the company. So, you know, they're underwater. You want to keep them happy, of course, with the future of the company. Um, you know, very, very subject to, I guess, that one particular, um, you know, fund if they're not happy, potentially getting out, um, which would be pretty detrimental for the share price and the rest of the investors involved. Uh, very complicated corporate structure. So the head office is here in Australia, but a lot of their tolls, like you mentioned, are you in the US uh, as well as Europe. Uh, the update today seems like a good one on paper. Um, you know, they've increased their revenues. Uh, you know, the uh, actual sort of traffic is picking up from all their tolls. Um, but I just think this one has got a bit of a track record of, you know, sort of uh, disappointing shareholders. So I'd look to something a little bit more local in terms of their assets, uh, like a transurban. Um, I think just given the management uh, has been stronger for them, I think, uh, yeah, you'd, you'd much prefer to be in, in a name like that over a much smaller uh, atlas anyway. All right. So what, just a no, you're not... not just a no, it. yeah, sell. So. Right. Okay. Daniel? Yeah, I think, you know, we'd probably have some similar sentiments um, in regards to their exposure overseas. I think the key thing for Atlas is actually um, their, their toll road in eastern France. It's it's one of the biggest toll roads um, in the country, connects to, to other countries, um, neighbouring countries, Belgium, etc. So that's that's the key asset. And that's not actually a, a lower um, concession than, say, we'd expect from, you know, the likes of Transurban, which is probably 50, 60 years. I think that concession expires in, in 2035. Um, so that is actually up for renewal quite soon, and that's part of the the um, the reason why IFM are getting involved. I think they want to focus on securing that uh, and retendering that in the next few years, and that's going to require a huge capital injection. So when they go through that that reconcession retendering process, it's going to require you know a significant amount of capital to be reinjected in the business, um, and hence you know it, it it is a bit of a question mark why they're making acquisitions overseas as well so really you know if, you, if you're in this stock you're probably in it for the income um, but unfortunately you, you're going to struggle to find distribution growth i mean the, the way that they pay distributions is really through releasing capital so they'll refinance um, release some capital and then pay it out 
not necessarily through purely the income uh, that they're generating for the toll rate. So from our view, you know, it's, it's probably not as high quality uh, and you're not going to get that distribution growth. And at 6% yield, you know, it's probably not attractive enough from a total return basis. So I think we'd be happy to, to put this on a sell for now, but always looking for, for an, an entrance opportunity on this because the assets do have value. So, you know, there could be valuation appeal if it falls. So, you know, much the same as Josh said, so you prefer uh, Transurban. Would you be, what are you doing with Transurban at the moment then? Well, I wouldn't say we prefer Transurban. I think okay. they have high quality assets. I think Transurban's valuation is probably a little bit too high and, you know, same there. The income there is at least growing. Uh, so you'll get a growing yield. But uh, if you look at the yield relative to, to interest rates and what you can get from, from other securities, it's, it's probably not uh, attractive enough for an equity investor. Yep. Okay. All right. That is uh, Atlas Arterius, so well, both a sell there, so not interested at all. All right, let's get back into the resources space. Uh, our second stock is Coronado Global Resources, uh, picked by Alexander. In fact, it's had, it's had an update as well, uh, affirmed its current production forecast for FY23. It is a, the producer miner of uh, metallurgical coal. Um, sales volumes June quarter recorded 4 million, uh, up more than 8% compared with the March quarter. Uh, Daniel, your thoughts on Coronado? Yeah, look, um, this is actually kind of a, a recent entrance back onto the ASX. I think if you look at its assets, someone who's um, played in the space before would, would recognize that the Curra coal mine it was formerly owned by Wes Farmers. So it's it's interesting to see that back on the ASX. But if you're thinking about coal at this point in the cycle, um, you know, you, you, you probably have to realize that um, prices are going to be incredibly volatile. They've clearly come down from their peak. And the question is now, you know, what is the kind of the next step for? What is the next step of the strategy? So some coal miners are focusing on capital returns, um, investing, you know, in their own projects, sustaining their own projects, uh, and then delivering that excess capital back to shareholders. That's probably the, the route we'd prefer to be in at the moment. I think if you look at Coronado, you know, they're still 50% owned by private equity. So they probably have more of that empire building um, desire and management have certainly called out the desire to grow and, and acquire other assets. So, you know, the, the assets are fine and the cash flow at the moment is good and obviously it looks cheap as a coal miner, but probably just don't agree with the strategy of management. You know, they're, they're in the running for, for BHPs. Um, I think Blackwater uh, coal mine that's up for sale. Um, and they're also talking about, you know, they, they recently spoke about merging with Peabody, which I think shareholders kind of shot that one down. And they've been speaking about potentially looking at tech resources, um, their coal assets. So from our view, it's probably an avoid. Um, if you were interested in the coal space, you'd probably rather just stick in a new hope. Now, I know the, the, the type of coal is different there, thermal coal rather than metallurgical coal. Um, but in terms of, I guess, your strategy as an equity investor, that's where we'd prefer to be. Okay. But it sounds as though you're not really interested in that sector at all then. Um, well, I guess that what goes back to a longer term outlook, does it? Well, look, I think there's opportunity. Short term, we're probably likely to see prices head downwards. So in the thermal side, inventory levels are still really high, Andrew, overseas in Europe. Uh, obviously, they, they purchased an excess amount of coal uh, last year to deal with kind of the, the, the Russia-Ukraine issue. So they're sitting on a huge stockpile of inventory, uh, and that's likely to be kind of destocked. 
you know, into the next three, six month period. So that will um, impact prices. And as well, we, we've kind of passed through the worst of the wet season in Australia. So if you actually look at supply and, you know, Coronado caught it out themselves, you know, there's huge production growth because of um, much better weather issues. So it's hard to see prices heading higher. I probably think that they, they have some room to fall in the near term, but perhaps after that headwind comes past, you can, you can reassess these opportunities. Okay. All right. Good one. Uh, Josh, interested at all? Um, yeah, look, I've been uh, somewhat notoriously quite bearish on, on coal for about this calendar year. Um, obviously, with the massive dry, uh, price drop, you know, and that, these guys experienced that as well. Uh, they sold their coal 30% lower than last quarter. So very, very volatile in terms of the commodity space. Uh, but that being said, you know, those underlying issues are still there. So uh, somewhat of a, a similar view to, to Daniel, whereby um, there may be some short-term volatility and short-term weakness, but I think uh, overall the, the um, you know, the demand for those energy sources and, and that steel production, you know, they're even citing in their uh, report today, very strong demand from steel makers in, in Japan, Korea and, and Europe and India. So uh, I, think, I think it does uh, bode well to be uh, in starting to dip your toe into these um, coal stocks. Um, Coronado, I think, would be a, a good way to, to put a small allocation into. Um, you know, the production numbers seemed good. Uh, we actually forecast that they'll pay a net yield of around 13%. So, um, you know, pending, I guess, not taking any, you know, huge acquisitions with that cash stockpile, uh, they've got a pretty strong propensity to deliver that to, to shareholders. They've paid out like 1.5 billion in dividends since mm. listing. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, if you're after a yield and you're after just a very small exposure after, I guess, being out of coal for a while, um, you know, you can start to dip your toe back into something like a Coronado. So should I assume then that you are you don't have exposure in coal, but if you were, this is maybe one way to get in. Yeah, we're, we're going to start to look to get exposure to it. Um, what other companies would you be interested in? Uh, obviously, the big names, um, New Hope and Whitehaven. Mm. Um, largely just monitoring them um, just to see what sort of dividends they do pay out. So, you know, that's like I said, we're being patient with the reporting season. We'll get their reports next month. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have an idea of exactly how much dividends they will pay out in the next dividend at the very least um, before even actually having to step into the stock. So, um, yeah, after seeing their report and uh, their dividend uh, capital structure, I think that's when we'll, we'll seriously start to look at them anyway. Okie dokes. All right. So, yeah, a bit of a different view there just as far as Coronado Global Resources are concerned off the back of its latest update. Let's uh, stay in resources. Our third one, Australian Strategic Metals, ASM, picked by Liam. Um, it's got its <clears throat> Dubbo projects in New South Wales. It's a proposed rare earth the minerals uh, mine. And the uh, company's recent interim report found uh, it's over a loss of... Um, uh, actually, in fact, I'm just trying to look at the detail there, but uh, I think it had some auditing question marks uh, brought up recently and the need perhaps to, to raise more money, which would be a given, I guess, is in terms of trying to develop it. Um, Josh, maybe you can fill us in a little more of what's going on with ASM. Yeah, obviously in the sort of strategic uh, metals, as given by the name, but, um, you know, so is a lot of companies at the moment. So I think you don't need to be 
as um, broadly sector buying in the space. So I think if, if you do discover some of those, if there's smoke, there's fire warning signs, such as auditing issues. Mm. They also had their MD and CEO um, transition, um, which was effectively immediately removed. Uh, they came in with uh, Rowena Smith, who's ex-South32 and, and Rio BHP before that. Um, they've had to, I guess, pay about 580 grand for her uh, to come on as the CEO effective immediately. So um, does yeah. that immediately raise alarm bells for you? Like it's a strategic positioning where they're refocusing, uh, particularly you know from the top down. Yeah, living immediately is 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 definitely <coughs> one of those warning signs that we'd see. Like we even saw with elders, for example, over the last twelve months, um, you know their MD CEO looked to uh, depart the company. He gave twelve months notice to the market, and uh, I guess there's there's a, a range of factors, but it did seem like the market dealt with that pretty harshly. Um, instead, he he just so decided to stick around because they couldn't find a replacement um, immediately or a suitable replacement. So um, yeah, it does 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 give some some uh, warning bells there uh, and then you've obviously mentioned that auditing so they've got support from the Dubbo government it's uh, strong cash flows I think I think they should be okay in terms of you know diluting but again this has had such a such a um, you know extensive ride back to IPO price a dollar to 14 back to a dollar mm. um, you know I think there's uh, it's in it's in the downtrend at the moment it could continue to go lower so uh, yeah I'd look to exit this one just on the risks Okay, that's a sell. What about Mount? I mean, obviously, it's early stage, uh, rare earths. Mm. Um, there was speculation that China may really curb export of rare earths. It dominates the market. Mm. Does that sector interest you at all? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're being um, selective with our companies in that exposure, but I think there's there's really strong opportunities for companies that are good, companies that are, you know, got those you know, managing directors that are comfortable to stay with the story as opposed to, you know, just cap raising because that's the hot market at the moment um, and really stick out to, to the next phase and that sort of battery uh, technology um, area. I think there's, there's a lot of room for growth. Um, there's a lot of demand to service there. And and uh, I think there'll be winners and losers from this. And I guess, yeah, now's the time to, to start, um, you know, pick, picking, your, picking your horses for that race. Yep, winners and losers. It's a matter of trying to pick them, isn't it? That's the hard part. Uh, all right, Daniel, what are your thoughts then on ASM? Yeah, Andrew, we're actually kind of familiar with this company when it, when it did list because it was spun out of a company we own in Alcane Gold um, Resources. So I'm not sure if the management transition is because, you know, they're, they're transitioning from some of the, the team that was there from the spin out to its own team. I'm not sure if that's that's the reason. We, we clearly haven't been following this one closely. But I think Rare Earth's um, kind of exploration development is one of the probably, if not the um, most difficult area for juniors because the level of capex required and really that where the value creation is made is more on the separation and the oxidation of the material so that's why alignus is, is so valuable and so strategic because not only do they have probably one of the best deposits globally in mount weld so they have the, the source material they also have um the upstream and the sorry the downstream there to process it uh, and get that value realization so i think if you're interested in this space uh, you know i couldn't go past linus um you know we spoke about capex bills before i think asm probably likely going to need two billion plus for their mine to magnet strategy now they're a 200 billion dollar company so the the ability to finance that 
um, is, is highly unlikely. At least Chalice, you know, the, the equity value is already over $2 billion, I think, at the moment. So completely different kind of funding situation here. Um, and, and similar to Josh, we're, we're bullish on rare earths. And when you saw that price run up from 1 to 14, I think that was probably driven by, you know, the, the appreciation in NDPR prices, they went on a huge run. That's when you saw Linus um, go up to 11, 12 bucks as well. Uh, and they've come back down uh, now at the moment. So, yeah, I think if you're interested in this space, the only one I'd probably look at is Linus or the secondary one is Iluca with their um, facility coming online probably in the next two or three years. Um, so they're, they're probably the only two real opportunities we'd consider in the space. And clearly from a quality perspective, we, we'd go with Linus. So that's an avoid then from ASM? Yeah, a, a clear avoid. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's move into the energy space. Uh, we've got a couple of stocks here, but they're, uh, they're different in that we'll begin with Viva Energy. It's more of a retailer there. It does own the Geelong oil refinery. I think it actually supplies around a quarter of Australia's liquid fossil fuels, retails the Shell branded fuels, also has Liberty Oil and Woodside Petroleum uh, branded service stations as well. Um, Daniel, how do you view this one? It uh, did have some recent maintenance problems with its Geelong refinery, in fact. Yeah, so I think we've probably been a little bit bearish uh, in recent times across both the refiners, so Ampol and Viva. And the reason is because, you know, they, these, you know, they might be considered defensive businesses, obviously with defensive demand profiles, but um, really the refining margins that they earn in the in oil refining uh, are quite cyclical. And the last few years have been earning significantly above long-term average. So we probably feel as if, and, and there's also been evidence of that coming down recently. So we feel as if it's a case where you could probably see profits hitting that peak and heading in that inflection point and, and trending downwards. Now, typically, that's not very good for share prices. Um, these companies are probably yet to react because that that kind of uh, defensive demand factor and the fact that investors are looking for defensive companies are holding them up. So, um, and, and then additionally to that, you've got not only issues at the Geelong refinery, um, which are going to take longer than expected, uh, but you've got the kind of uh, consideration of the acquisition of OTR in Adelaide. So, there's a few things going on here. Um, you know, the positives are that the convenience side is really holding up and the demand from aviation, so travel, um, has been really, really strong. So, we probably see it as now as a good time as ever to exit the stock uh, and take your profits now before you start to see profits trend downwards. All right, that is still then for Viva. Sorry, what was your, just quickly, your thoughts then on Ampol? What would you be doing with that? Well, look, Ampol, it doesn't have as many operational issues at the moment. So I think it's probably a better hold or a justification to hold. But overall, we, you know, we don't have exposure to this uh, sector at Stock Doctor. I think yep. if you're interested in energy, um, you know, the energy companies themselves look, look really good value. So I'd probably prefer to have my capital there. All right. Well, we're going to go to one very shortly, but may not fit what you're saying exactly there. Anyway, uh, Josh, Viva Energy. Yeah, I think it's um, obviously, uh, as Daniel mentioned, it's it's had a, a period of really strong numbers. Um, you know, revenues up forty percent, earnings up one hundred and thirty. Um, but uh, I think with this one, um, whilst it is in a nice uptrend, I'd, I'd probably be leaning more towards the the trim. Um, and uh, yeah, just basically, um, these companies are very cyclical. Although we are quite positive on, on the 
oil price, I guess with those more traditional um, energy sources, you know, being being um, you know widely widely used. So you know, we've obviously experienced this this green transition, um, which is very hopeful, and I think the expectations of that were a little bit too optimistic. Um, so that's why we might see for the next year or two things like oil, things like coal, um, really come into come into uh, you know strong strong territory. So, yeah, I think for this one, um, I'd be looking to trim. Look, the the, uh, the the sell signals are not quite there for us just yet. Um, so, you know, this company is going to continue to make really strong uh, revenues and therefore earnings and therefore dividends for, for, for holders uh, in the meantime. So um, I'd be okay with the hold as well. All right. Okay. So let's now move on to Carnarvon Energy. It... Uh is picked by Emma. It's it is an oil and gas company um, focused on the Northwest Shelf in in WA. Uh, recently, having entered into a binding agreement with OPEC Australia, it's uh, that's a subsidiary of a Taiwanese uh, national oil and gas company. Its focus is its project, the um, Dorado project uh, offshore. Um, Josh. What are your thoughts? Yeah, with with the Dorado, um, they only own about twenty percent of that, um, the oil and gas, whereas uh, Santos owns eighty percent. Um, so there is, uh, I guess, some contention um, as to what um, Santos want to do with that project, um, and they've, you know, really been uh, sort of leaving leaving Carnarvon uh, up in the air at the moment. So yeah, they've got a new CEO coming in, I believe, um, and they've sort of just left it up to the new CEO. So um, yeah, I guess unfortunately with this stock, um, because they are the smaller player, obviously compared to something like a Santos, they also own a smaller majority of, you know, one of their really quite dominant um, projects. I think they are subject to, I guess, being, at the will of, of Santos in this case. So, you know, whatever Santos decides is obviously going to be favorable for them and potentially unfavorable for uh, CBN. So on that basis, I think I, I would not like to take that risk. Um, I'd look to get out. It does have a propensity to sort of spike higher on, on some news. So potentially you can wait for that spike and then look to exit and then it just drifts off in between those spikes, unfortunately. So I'd reiterate a sell for this one, unfortunately. Yep, okay, but perhaps employ that strategy if it's looking for a higher price. Uh, Okay, Daniel? Yeah, this is an interesting one, Andrew. Um, Clearly, like Josh mentioned, it does have a minority stake, and there's a few different licenses um, around there. Some of them, they own 10, some of them own 20% uh, of those licenses. But the the big thing here is that this is another one that's going to have a huge kind of capital requirement for when Dorado eventually heads into FID. So if we actually look at Santos right now, what they're focusing on is the the sale of, uh, the sell down of their PNG asset to, to the government um, entity there, which has probably been held up a few months and, and a, bit, a bit of an overhang up for the stock. And the second thing there, they have front of mind is their development um, of the Barossa project uh, in Darwin as well. So they're probably the two most important um, kind of things that they're considering at the moment at Santos. So the Dorado project has taken a bit of a back seat as well as, you know, you need to go through the, the relevant approvals uh, and submissions there as well. So look, I think management's um, actually done a, a good job and, um, you know, exploring this project out, developing it, 
Um, it made sense to sell down um, a portion of their stake. So they sold down a portion of their stake to the Taiwanese company, like you said, Andrew, and now they're going to use that funding to, to reinvest for when the CapEx bill eventually comes. Um, but until you, you head towards FID, you know, you're probably going to be sitting in this just lull period for the stock. So interesting opportunity, but wait for, for you know, what happens with the final investment decision, because it's another one that, you know, you're just going to be sitting there. Uh, and then if obviously commodity prices fall, you're just going to take the brunt of that. So I'd probably be preferring to watch this for, uh, watch this for now. But, you know, across most of the developers and explorers, I think this one is quite interesting. Okay. Uh, more broadly, though, in the current uh, producers, what are you what are you preferring? Yeah, so we probably own we own the two big dogs. We own Santos and Woodside. Right. Um, we we like the energy space, so we'd be happy to hold those. Um, for now, probably more on the development side, Andrew. There's nothing there that really is enticing us. Uh, so we're happy to stick with the producers. All right. Good one. So that is a watch then from uh, from Daniel. All right, so let's uh, sum up where we've been in uh, the first half of the show. Our stock of the day was uh, Chalice in that, um, uh, well, it's sort of, it's got this Julemar project uh, involving green metals, does have an, an update there uh, in terms of uh, its latest project and um, sitting on what it describes as the largest nickel sulfide discovery in the world since 2000, in fact. Um, but would you hold it? Would you buy it? Would you sell it? What would you do? Well, in fact, uh, both Daniel and uh, Josh, they're saying they're just happy to watch it at this point. It's um, just uh, it's a longer timeline, a little too early, as Josh puts it, sort of in between, given it's developing uh, at the moment, not exploring, not producing. It's somewhere in between there. To those uh, five stocks as picked by you, Atlas Arteria, the owner and operator of Toll Roads, uh, no, Josh saying, look, I guess he'd prefer uh, Transurban there. He's got a sell on it, as does Daniel. Uh, Coronado Global in a metallurgical coal and a void from uh, Daniel. And Josh, what you're saying, uh, maybe a small allocation there, just as far as uh, Coronado Global is concerned. Uh, Australian Strategic Metals, ASM. It is a sell from Josh and a void from Daniel. Viva Energy, the uh, the retailer and uh, operator of Geelong Oil Refinery. Um, a sell there from Daniel and a trim, potentially a hold there from Josh. And f- Carnarvon Energy, finally, uh, looking at a sell from Josh and a watch there from Daniel. So that is the first half of the show. Of course, we are tracking our own high conviction fund. That's picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. So checking in on the update going into July, Boss Energy was replaced by uh, Paladin and Kelsian is out for Levisa. So checking in on its performance thus far, currently up uh, just over 7.5% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March last year. So keep sending in your requests. Keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Next, for the second half of the show, we'll be taking a look at Hutchison Telecommunications, Duxton Water, Computer Share. Pilbara Minerals and GPT. So let's uh, begin then with Hutchison in the telco space. Uh, Josh, it had that uh, 25% or more equity interest in TPG Telecom. It's actually up 6% today. I was just trying to look for any news, uh, which I 
cannot find at the moment. But what can you tell us about Hutchison? No, it doesn't appear to be any news uh, today. Very sort of low volume stock, but um, it just unfortunately for us, given I guess the complicated uh, corporate structure that it does have, um, it wouldn't pass many of our sort of investment grade um, theses. So for example, they're losing a lot of money. Their revenues were about 200 grand for the year. Um, and then most of that was just purely interest income um, and losing about 10 times that, so $2 million a year. Um, more like, I guess, an exploring mining uh, version of the telco sector here. So um, just far too early for us. Uh, they, they even outlined in their, um, you can see there the price sort of, mm. you know, sort of around that four cent mark. Um, in their most recent update, they gave uh, their net tangible assets moved from uh, five cents a share down to three cents a share. So uh, it's getting into that space where the net tangible assets are reducing. Obviously, the share price is reduced quite significantly on the back of that. Um, pretty clear downtrend for us. So just um, any of our metrics, it, it doesn't fit, unfortunately. So I would be a sell. Yeah, well, there's not a lot to like then based on what you've just said. And that's, I guess, reflected in the share price, which uh, that chart looks pretty ugly. So, Daniel, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is actually a, an interesting vehicle. Um, I think many people probably wouldn't have heard of it before. And that's because there used to be the old, the Hutchison, the old three brand. So three telecoms in Australia. Um, you know, I'm an Essendon fan. So they used to be a sponsor of the club, used to be on the jersey. That's where some people might recognize them. And then they obviously ended up merging um, with Vodafone, who then evidently merged with TPG. So these guys actually have, it's, it's just really a, a listed vehicle for the Hong Kong entity that that um, owns that big stake. I think they still own the Hutchinson um, stake is still around 90% of, of this stock. So I'm, I'm not too sure why it's actually remained listed. But basically, these guys own 25% of TPG. So I don't think it really trades um, at all. Uh, I think there's been a few block trades, but I'm not sure uh, if this stock actually trades uh, at all. If you're interested in TPG, I mean, you, you'd probably just buy the shares directly. Um, and I'm not too sure kind of what the outlook for this company is. So it's a it's a complex kind of um, corporate structuring. It's the Hong Kong entity owns, I think, 90%. And then this owns 25% of TPG. So I'm not sure um, what's going on with the, with the viewer's kind of investment thesis. Mm. Um, but yeah, clearly, it's, it's probably something that you, know, you can't really invest in. Um, uh, given given the factor of what it is. Yeah, well, that's a bit damning if you're questioning its very existence. So I'm assuming that's a sell then or just an avoid. Yeah, well, I don't even know if you could sell this one, Andrew. I don't right. think there's okay. enough. No one's going to buy it. Uh, right. I, <laughs> I think so. But, you know, if you're looking at the underlying, if you're looking at TPG, you know, there's probably reason there to be positive. I think the mobile market um, has been really, really positive for Telstra. So, you know, there's reasons to buy the underlying, but um, I'm not too sure what the rationale would be for HTA. Yep, fair enough. Okay. All right, let's move on to Duxton Water, uh, picked by Arthur. It owns and manages uh, water entitlements, provides uh, irrigation services and so on, and water supply solutions. Um, interesting space to be in. And I guess, you know, a lot of this weather dependent, of course, um, interesting the phase climate-wise that we're going through now with, I don't know that Australia's actually call it, but certainly globally, uh, that we're entering El Nino again, which I guess, Daniel, would potentially be a positive for Duxton. 
Yeah, certainly. And and if you're not really familiar with how water entitlements work um, as a market or as they, how they work in Australia, I think there's some really good information on the website. So obviously, Duxton, uh, the company, it was actually spun out of, of Deutsche Group. Uh, and they, they're the asset manager here that runs this. It's, it's kind of like an LIC or an LIT, really. Um, and, and I think, you know, they're, they're primarily focused on purchasing and managing water entitlements. So it, it's a pretty complicated and a really niche and specialized um, area. I'm not too sure what the management fee is. So if you're if you're an investor in this type of asset class, I think you'd probably want to be familiar with you know the the history of who the portfolio managers are, what the management fees are. So certainly look at those first um, before considering um, kind of buying the shares on market. But in terms of their performance, um, it's it's really reliance on, on how well they do in terms of leasing and then trading in the spot market. So they lease out about half of their entitlements to farmers. And the reason why you do that is they're typically um, you know like or orchards or trees, which are permanent um, agricultural assets that always require um, access to water. But then you have kind of more um, cyclical assets like wheat or grain, which is harvested, and then you typically transact on the spot market. So you, you are relying on the, the performance of the portfolio managers. As a whole, water entitlements are actually a really interesting asset class. Um, I think Rural Funds is actually doing something really interesting with their portfolio. They're always adding um, blocks of land with, with significant water entitlements as well. So that's probably another option you can consider if you're interested in this asset class, but uh, you know, it, it, it is highly specialized. So it really does depend uh, on what your view is of the asset class. So, what's your, what's your view then? What, what what would you do with it? Well, look, we, you know, it is it is kind of a, an exchange traded product. So, I think from from our view at Stock Doctor, you know, yeah. we probably wouldn't be interested. Uh, but if you are, you know, a, a more sophisticated investor, probably not a retail investor, and you've done your DD um, on the market, you know, this could be a way to play it. Um, it it's certainly an interesting investment case, um, but probably one that's you know you know not as relevant for us as equity investors. Yep, fair enough. Okay, Josh, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think Daniel made a, a really good point. It's um, very uncorrelated with the equity markets. So I think just uh, given that, I think if you do have a positive view towards, I guess, the way um, that the, I guess, commodity is, is uh, you know, sold and, um, you know, profited from those uh, farmers, you know, they're storing a lot of water and then I guess lend it out to them if we do experience those drought, um, those drought phases. So, yeah, well, I, think well, I mean, was... I was making that point earlier that it uh, looks as though El Nino's back. So, yeah, um, sure hope I mean, so. potentially, well, yeah, like we, <laughs> what, because you're not like La Nina, but yeah, I mean, could, yeah. could go could... to the other extreme then yeah. where once again, you know, water shortages are commonplace. Yeah, exactly. So, um, look, if we just talk about the valuations that you're Roughly able to get. They did a cap raise just recently at about a dollar fifty, um, so hopefully that sort of holds up as as support uh, for the stock. And before that, they were running quite well. Net tangible assets of around a dollar eighty a share. So I think anywhere between sort of dollar fifty and a dollar eighty, uh, you're picking it up at, at relatively good valuations. Um, and obviously, if your your view is that uh, you know it's going to be a favourable area moving forward for the next couple of years, and you want something that's uncorrelated with the, the equity markets, which is um, you know, definitely not a, not a crazy thing to, to want given the, the nature of the market at the moment. I think this one's uh, yeah, really quite, quite a good investment if, you're, um, if, if, you, if you do your research and, and you're positive on that area for it. So uh, a halt or would you go as far as a buy? Yeah, I'd be happy to pick it up at a buy, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. Right, let's now move on to ComputerShare. Uh, it is the... Um, 
uh, share registry company. In fact, uh, more recently it downgraded its full year 24 margin income forecast, citing lower expected uh, client cash balances there. But of course, also has been a beneficiary as far as those rising interest rates are concerned, given the amount of cash that it holds on behalf of its uh, of its clients. Uh, so, Josh, what are your thoughts on computer share? Yeah, like you said, it's kind of got that interest rate rising uh, benef- beneficiary. Um, it's it's one company that over the last couple of years has just been the, the strongest performing you know tech tech company we've had here in Australia because obviously they've all been sold off. Um, but this one's been benefiting from the rising rates, so it does still have that tech component. Um, it's also got a component that's obviously linked with strong economic activity, being capital raisings and corporate activities. They hold a lot of the cash when there's IPOs, placements. Um, even you know things like structured products, for example, they're holding the cash uh, there. So those two things, I guess, have been balancing each other out. And as you can see there, it's uh, been on a nice uptrend for quite some time. And yeah, I guess uh, the, the thesis here would be that those two continue to, to, to balance each other out. So if we do have any interest rate shocks, uh, it'll obviously appreciate that sells off the tech sector, but also as the tech sector continues to be Quite, quite strong in its recovery. Uh, this too could continue as well, and they're making really good money. So their recent update was they reaffirmed their profit guidance. Um, it is quite elevated. I'm trying to find um, more value propositions, like recently over the last few months, sort of leaning towards more the zero and the realestate.com that were at quite uh, significant discounts compared to where they were once upon a time. Um, so this one uh, doesn't, doesn't sort of present too much of a discount um, but it definitely could keep running, so I'd be happy to hold computer share. Yep, all right. It's quite telling, you know, you refer to it as tech stock. In, in, but, you yeah. know, you take a look at traditional tech stock, if we talk about what's, you know, Wall Street, you know, yeah. those NASDAQ-listed stocks, it's sort of a service stock, it's isn't it? Very, it's very interesting. It's actually yeah. sort of, some people put it in the industrials category now. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's, it's how, how you take it, but it's more so how it trades, I think, is, 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 is most importantly as well. Yep. All right. Uh, that said, of course, uh, I was just looking at the tech sector today, down pretty hard uh, with the likes of Zero, WiseTech, all off about 3%. And that's, I guess, what we saw also reflecting on Wall Street overnight with some of those uh, big tech stocks coming off significantly. So, Daniel, what are your thoughts then on computer share? Yeah, look, this is actually one we own. Uh, and it's probably, I think, my first buy of the day. So, I uh, only took seven stocks to get in, and, and it is a Friday, so I, I wanted to get at least one buy in. <laughs> okay. I think overall we've been pretty we've been pretty bearish on the market, so this is one that we like. And the reason why is probably our our thesis on how rates will play out. I think we're probably more um, in the higher for longer camp, uh, and therefore you know we're, we're probably more bullish on a stock like computer share. So um, you're right, Andrew. They recently um, downgraded kind of cash uh, earnings expectations, and the reason why it was more so to do with client cash balances. So they do obviously a lot of um, administration and corporate trust services um, in the US more so for um, debt issuances and the mortgage-backed security market. Now, when you went through the, the, the issues with the regional banks um, in the US, there was a, a huge slowdown in volumes of listings in those uh, in those asset classes. And therefore, you know, the, the client cash balances or the, their weighted average cash balances was more kind of decelerating um, at, at a level clearly 
higher than what they anticipated. So that's why the downgrade came. We'd probably think that's not, you know, a structural issue. That's something that was more temporary. And when you see volumes pick up there, uh, that will be beneficial for their total cash balance. So that's probably where our bullish view stems from. Um, you know, in terms of the leverage they have to interest rates, uh, FY22, they made interest income of 187 million. Uh, FY23 forecasts are probably be around 800 million. Wow. So that's yeah. why the stock trades on a low multiple because people are, uh, you know, clearly not pricing in that level of earnings to, uh, going forward. Yeah. Uh, but from our view, I think they'll be a little bit stickier than what the market's suggesting. Uh, so we'd call it a buy. Yeah. Okay. Um, until interest rates turn, at least. <laughs> yeah, until interest rates turn. But even then, they'll be higher than zero. So at least they'll be earning something. Yeah, well, that is true. We're not going back to where we were um, of yeah. 0.1 or wherever, will we? No. Okay, so that, uh, that's computer share. Let us now go back into the resources space. We had a few of those today, of course. Uh, Pilbara Minerals, this one picked by uh, Samuel. It is what's well, the biggest uh, lithium-listed stock uh, locally. Uh, and interesting, it's potentially looking at a, a tilt at the Explorer Patriot battery metals uh, at uh, the same time. Dan, you might be able to tell us more on this, but also looking to diversify too with producing its own lithium hydroxide uh, as you know, with uh, building a processing plant. So Daniel, what are, you, what are your thoughts then on, on Pilbara and its, its plans? Yeah, so we're on a roll here, Andrew. This is another buy from us. Uh, it's probably our really preferred um, producer in the lithium space. Now, I will say they, they do have a huge kind of net cash balance, $2.7 billion. And if they do get interested in Patriot, I probably think that's more of a reason to sell, um, just given more the valuation of, of where that development asset is at the moment. Um, what, what management strategy is, and if, you, if you're not familiar with it, they own Pilgangura, which is probably the second best hard rock mine globally next to, next to Greenbushes. Um, you know, if, if you if you want to talk about tech and, and the software margins they make, these guys are making 90% margins uh, on mining lithium mining spodumene at the moment. So, you know, obviously, if you have a view that you're really negative on lithium prices, you, you wouldn't be buying this. But our view is that they'll probably stay quite firm uh, into the near term because there is a, a huge ramp up um, in supply coming. But, you know, it does take a long time for that to come onto the market relative to where really electric vehicle sales has been. You know, I think it's more support for prices in the near term. So we're bullish on this stock. In terms of um, development plans, they're, they're kind of uh, upgrading their, their project in WA. It's going to go towards a million tonne per annum, currently at that 580 mark. Um, so, you know, 10% growth in production per annum for, for likely five or six years. So that's significant as well to help offset um, any falls in spodumene prices. And then, like you said, they're, they're entering that downstream. So a lot of kind of um, resource analysts will su will suggest, you know, the real value creation in the lithium supply chain is in downstream processing in that either hydroxide or carbonate processing. Uh, these guys have actually been a, a benefactor of, of being a, a leveraged spodumene miner because if you look at really the trajectory of chemical prices versus hard rock prices, they've actually fallen uh, at a greater rate. So you've seen mineral resources actually cancel um, a few of their agreements and their toll trading agreements because it was loss making. So I think that's one aspect a few people really haven't haven't considered uh, in Pilbara versus its peers. Um, but they are investing heavily in entering the downstream um, with POSCO there in, in South Korea. So they will have exposure. Uh, and I think it's probably a, a, a stock that still has more to go. So we're happy with it at the moment. So this is clearly your preferred lithium stock. Are there any other ones you're interested in at the moment? And you talk about sort of that downstream processing. It doesn't really have that proximity to markets, though, unlike perhaps some of those 
the Australian listed lithium companies in North America, for instance? Yeah, you're right. And and I think, you know, if, if we were looking for kind of another um, or our second best, we, we'd probably look more so at IGO uh, and, and what they're doing with green bushes and the Quinana facility uh, in WA as well. I think all came is probably more so what you're referring to in, in terms of their exposure to North America mm. uh, and obviously their merger uh, with Livevent. That's another opportunity. We actually own all three. So, you know, I'm not going to say either of them are negative. Um, but, you know, in terms of where I think uh, the, the two highest quality exposures are would be Peelborough and then IGO a close second which, which, which they do have that exposure uh, to downstream at the moment yep all right okay that's a good one that's another buy there for you Josh what are your thoughts yeah, we've spoken about a lot of um, you know sort of rare earth plays and a lot of mining companies. Uh, I think if you're um, looking for the best one, Bilbara is a clear win for us. Um, we only have one on our watch list and, and and looking to accumulate just the one. We'd we'd prefer Bilbara as as the clear front runner. Um, big reason for that is the cash uh, that Daniel mentioned means that they're expected to pay around a 6.6% dividend. Um, and also, I guess the way that they've, uh, you know, run their business over the last couple of years in terms of selling their products, they haven't gone and, and, and done a, a joint venture with, you know, something like a Tesla or something early on. Uh, they were actually patient, they sort of stuck with what they had, um, and they're able to sell it off at that BMX auction, uh, which they used to update every every month. Uh, when they did that, but they ceased doing that just for, I guess, administration purposes, but it's still ticking away in the background. Um, so they're able to sell it at a premium to market just because they have uh, such a high uh, output compared to any other players. And uh, yeah, buying it in bulk is actually, because it's so strong, uh, you're actually having to pay above for buying it in bulk at the mm, moment. Mm. So uh, yeah, I think Pilbara is, is definitely making hay while the sun shines. It's selling now. You don't have to wait for uh, exploration to come in. You don't have to wait for uh, you know any setbacks as well that, that may um, you know lead a company away from production. So I think uh, you're either playing uh, lithium in one of two ways. You're either buying the big names or you're buying the really, really small names. Yep. Um, and, and I guess betting that that's gonna be a future leader. So uh, that's how we're playing it. and. Our, our, our big name is Pilbara for sure. Yep. Okay. Well, that is a double buy. So that is one for the investment committee to consider, if not, if it hasn't already. All right, let's round it out with GPT, um, otherwise known as General Property Trust. And I guess that gives it away. It's a diversified uh, REIT, um, manages around more than $27 billion in, uh, in its portfolio, uh, office, logistics, retail. So, Josh, they have, of course, been under pressure. Mm. Is its diversity the key here? Um, I don't think so. I, I'd be happy to be undiversified in the REIT sector. Right. Um, I, to, I'd rather just be there. in in pure uh, industrials play. You know, yep. I think the office um, has been under a lot of scrutiny, uh, particularly in, in Sydney and Melbourne with their occupancy rates. Uh, retail, again, may come under pressure over the next 12 months as, I guess, cost of living um, and you know, economic recessionary fears mount and, and start to hit household budgets. So, yeah, I just think I, I'd rather be um, in industrials if I'm going to be in REITs, um, you know, 
unfortunately, we, we probably will have elevated cash rate for, for quite some time, which you know obviously impacts their uh, impacts their business and their costs. So I think uh, starting to accumulate some of the REITs on a watch list basis, and then maybe when we start to see those interest rates come off, which we're probably not expecting for another nine months or so, um, then then we'd start to dip our toe back into that industrial space. So well, what's on your list? Uh, we're liking CIP. Um, Goodman Group is obviously a big blue chip, but CIP is the smaller version of that. Um, and it does uh, have a corporate structure focused on more income as opposed to capital growth like Goodman Group. Uh, and there's also Waypoint REIT, which is the, the service stations. You know, Their corporate structure is more about a buyback and delivering really high dividends as well, around that 6 or 7% mark. So I think uh, those names are going to have more earnings and therefore dividends if you're looking for that in your portfolio. All right, good one, Daniel. Yeah, I think certainly that sentiment around office is what would concern us. Um, but the old GPT is quite diversified and actually has a, a, a really fastly growing funds management uh, business as well, similar to you know what a charter hall does. And they've won some pretty big mandates recently. And some of those mandates actually came uh, from its larger peers. So clearly, they're, they're gaining a lot of traction there in the asset management space, which we all know how you know profitable those can be in high margin um, that that sector can be. Now, in terms of the office, um, the recent update, it wasn't, you know, I wouldn't say it was a positive. I think they're struggling um, in terms of releasing. Um, but from the retail side, and their retail book has some of the best assets in the country. So, for example, um, you know, something like Melbourne Central is an asset they own or a lot of large format shopping centers like a High Point or a Northland. So they're more exposed to those type of big mall um, type of assets, which actually have had positive releasing spread. So even though you've had a slowdown in consumer, the you know the retail companies have said, these, these are the places we need to be. Uh, and there was a lot of conjecture over that, uh, whether that would be the case, you know, over COVID with the online um, retail explosion. Uh, but now, you know, there, there are there is a huge propensity to go back to these, these malls. So that's actually a positive for them mm. in terms of releasing spreads. I think spreads are up 4%. So they're actually releasing at higher rates, uh, whereas in office, they're releasing at lower rates. And in terms of industrial, similar to you know every other player out there, they're releasing at 30%. So it's a hugely under-rented um, book. Uh, and, and one thing as well, which probably stands out uh, why I would be a little bit more positive on GPT than its peers is the balance sheet. So they have a much lower percentage of gearing than, say, a Dexas. Um, so they're, they're a lot more clean there in the balance sheet and, and 70% of the debt costs are hedged to Fairfire 23 and I think 50 to 60 Fairfire 24. So they've done a great job in capital management there uh, and I think that's why they'll be a little bit more resilient than some of their peers. So what does that make it then? Look, I, I don't want to give I don't want to give three buys in a row. Uh, well, we haven't been that bullish like. on the market. Yeah, <laughs> I think we'd be happy to hold it, but you know, okay. relatively, we'd probably be more of a seller of the majority of office reads out there, Andrew. So we do we do like this one a bit more. Yeah. Okay. Good one. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Let's uh, round out the second half of the show. Then we began with Hutchison Telecom. Uh, Josh pointing out it's losing a lot of money. He's got to sell on it. Uh, Daniel even questioning why it's trading at this point. It's an avoid from him. Uh, Duxton Water in terms of uh, providing water entitlements. Uh, a no from Daniel, but a buy from Josh. Computer share, a hold from Josh, uh, benefiting from rates as both point out, and Daniel saying they own it. It is a buy. 
there from the Stock Doctor. Um, Pilbara Minerals, another buy from Daniel, saying it's ramping up supply. They also have uh, IGO and Orchem in their portfolio. And an accumulate uh, there from Josh. And finally, GPT, it is a no from Josh and a hold there from Daniel. So that is the show for today. Thank you to our guests. Josh, thanks for joining us from Macro Capital. Thanks for having me. And Daniel from Stock Doctor, good to catch up again. Cheers, Andrew. All right. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can go to ausbiz.co forward slash call picks or you can tweet us at ausbiz.tv. Stay with us. The Pulse is coming up next. <laughs>